Our, our Father God, our Creator God, we thank you for this day. We even thank you for this weather because this is part of your creation. You've created the seasons. You've created the world and everything that's in it. Be with us now as we uh, try to learn a little bit more uh, in depth about what that really means. Be with TC as he teaches. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for uh, braving the weather, turning out <laughs> this morning. Um, I was just telling my students here that I drive a pickup truck that's a rear-wheel drive only, not a four-wheel drive. So going uphill on a bridge is always a bit of a trick. Um, before we start today, did you have any questions from last class, last time, when we, when we covered the first, did we cover four days or five days? <laughs> we, I, I forget how far we got exactly. Uh, were we in verse 20? Any questions from last, last time? Starting in 20. All right, so last night, um, I went back and looked at my notes. And um, I skipped something, and this is why I even take notes sometimes. I have a little, note, little sticky of things not to forget to cover. Uh, I have uh, extensive notes on my laptop uh, that, that it's mostly gibberish for most people, but it's lots of tec technical, syntactical, and all kinds of very detailed notes. But then among those, I don't want to leave some things out. And, and yet, because there's so much to unearth from these texts, I end up forgetting some of these. So I'd like to go back a few verses, if we could, uh, to verse 16. So in chapter 1, verse 16, <clears throat> this is the text describes, that describes God making uh, the greater lights, the two great lights, the greater light and the lesser light. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of last time that Genesis 1 should be read in the context of the Canaanite mythology. Uh, the mythology about Baal and, and all those gods and uh, there's lots of violence in that story about how the world gets created. Uh, and, and I skipped this verse right over, not mentioning uh, something about this text. So <coughs> it says that God created great lights, greater light to rule the, the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And, and uh, beyond being poetic, so great light and greater light and lesser light sounds awfully poetic, but beyond being poetic, it's also polemic. Polemic means an argument or a, um, a statement that goes against something. And this is a polemic against Canaanite mythology. And how is it uh, a mytholo mytholo mythological in any way? Well, okay, so Hebrew uh, is a Semitic language. And Semitic languages are, uh, there are several groups of Semitic languages. And among, among them are words, uh, languages like Aramaic, uh, Moabite. Um, so basically, Edomite. All the Canaanite languages are Semitic languages, and they share a core. Uh, they're called cognates. So um, it's, it's, they're really close languages. They're so close, in fact, that uh, one of my professors tricked us when, when I was in my doctoral program. This is now 
several years ago. Uh, we were sitting in a small doctoral class of advanced Hebrew grammar, and uh, our professor brought in uh, photocopies of, of, of an inscription and handed it to us and said, okay, we're going to start today with translation. And we're kind of scratching our heads going, this is way, we're beyond just translating Hebrew. Uh, so, you know, we were kind of taken aback, like a little insulted that, that we're going back to translation. So we started translating and uh, we're kind of looking at each other like, some of these words are a little strange. Uh, but we kept going and kept going, translated the whole thing. And at the end of it, uh, he asked us if we had any questions. And so we did. Like, this word, what is this word? And, and, and doc, being doctoral students, we don't want to ask to, you know, because we should know pretty much everything. <laughs> we shouldn't be asking vocab words, and yet we were. So there was a little bit of shame involved. Uh, so we're, we're going to quietly ask him, what is this word? Uh, and he, and he asked, answered all of our questions. And at the end of the class, he says, congratulations, you now read Moabite. And he tricked us uh, because we were reading Moabite inscriptions. Um, written, uh, you know, around the time of the Hebrew, uh, time. it was called the Mesha inscription, and uh, it, it describes them fighting the Israelites and, and, and being victorious, and so they, they're bragging about it. And so Moabite and Hebrew are so close that we couldn't even tell that we were reading a different language, uh, except for those strange little vocab words that kept popping up that we didn't quite get, or some Strange grammar, a little bit, a little off. So it would be the equivalent of, say, uh, us reading a British author whose writing has not been adapted to, uh, to American English. So, um, you know, some words would come up that we would have to look up sometimes. For the, for, the long, for the life of me, I couldn't figure out when I was reading Harry Potter for a while what a row was or a row. So I had to look that up. Uh, and in, in British slang, it means a fight to have a row or a row. I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it was in Harry Potter, so I didn't know <laughs> what that was. Uh, so it's kind of like that. So keep that in mind. So cognate languages are very similar. Um, I've heard like Italian and Spanish are close, um, but even closer than those kinds of languages. So if, if you're speaking or a language that's so close, um, words mean things in a different context, right? So. In Canaanite, uh, we can't see the sun today. The sun, in both Hebrew and all the Canaanite languages, is Shemesh. Shemesh is sun. But they did not think of, the Canaanites did not look at the light and go, oh, that's just the light. They thought, no, 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 that's a god. Right? It's kind of like uh, the uh, Greek Apollo, right? It's a god up there. Not just a chariot, but an actual god. So they, that god's name was Shemesh. They looked at the moon, and uh, they, they thought, that's a god. And the moon's name is Chodesh. So Shemesh and Chodesh, yes, it referred to those objects in the sky, but according to Canaanite mythology, those are gods. And look what happens in verse 16. So this, the verse 16 reads, and God made uh, the two lights, great lights, big lights. The bigger light to govern the day and the smaller light to govern 
the night. So this text, not only, be, not only being uh, kind of poetic, referring to the moon and, and the sun as greater light and lesser light, it's also a polemic against Canaanite mythology. What gods? Light. It's just a light. In fact, the Hebrew word, the closest word that we have to that light is lamp. So it's a lamp. It's not a god up there. Um, so that the author avoids these words, Chodesh and Shemesh, is also a polemic. It's an argument against. Uh, we talked a lot about order, God wanting order. Do you remember some of those Hebrew words we talked about last time? Should I write those down again? So, uh, we had separate. Kind, as in categorical kind, not kindness kind. Uh, I think I wrote this down in English like that. Uh, it's pronounced mean, I guess you would write it like that, mean, kind. Uh, we had good, right? Dove. What else do we have? Sorry? Oh, to be, to be, that's right. Yeah. Kind of like that. I mentioned uh, that last time that these two words are related. When you separate, you separate by kind. Uh, I mentioned how I, because of my strong OCD tendencies, I love things ni nice and neatly separated into their kinds. Um, I, I talked about how I separated my books according to their kinds, and then according to each letter kind, and so forth. Um, I get a little obsessive sometimes, so. <laughs> Uh, all of my file systems and everything is very, very organized, and sometimes it's too organized that you have to go to several levels to find it. Sometimes it's true. <laughs> it's too organized. I have to know which category. Right. Because I can't just look for a book. I have to know, okay, how did I categorize that book? <laughs> is it theology or philosophy? Because some books kind of straddle that line. Like, would you call Kierkegaard a philosopher or a theologian? So then I panic. <laughs> Where did I put that book? Uh, but I have a pretty good memory of colors and sizes of books. So do you know what I mean? You, once you read a book, you realize what color it was. I, I look for the color and it's not the name uh, often. So I'm like, I'm looking for a red book. Uh, so Kierkegaard's uh, uh, book is red. Uh, all right, so. That's the one verse I wanted to go back to and touch on because it is about uh, the kind of literature that Genesis represents. Okay, so we left off at 20. Are we taking, are we reading from 20? Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, and God said, let the water teem with teeming things. So it's a strange uh, cognate accusative. So the word uh, occurs twice. Uh, let, the wor let the waters teem with teeming things, living, living things, uh, and birds over the land and over the surface or the face of 
that dome that we talked about last time, the kia, dome of the heavens. So um, that hammered out plate, that, that, that's the closest image that we have to this dome, a hammered out piece of metal that's flat now, it's been shaped into a dome, and since it is a dome, it has a surface or a face, and that's why birds can fly over the face of that dome. So the language is, is almost um, picturesque. Uh, we, we can only cover the surface of the, of the earth, the face of the earth, but birds can actually be on the face of the heavens. 21. This, gets, this is where it gets tricky. Uh, and God created this thing. In Hebrew, it's called tanim. Uh, this great tanim and all the living things uh, that team or, or swarm uh, in the waters. According to its kind, mean, according to its kind, and all the birds, uh, winged birds, according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Tov, again. Uh, so, your translations. God created what? The first thing. Yeah, right, but what's the first thing that God creates in verse 21 in translations? Sorry? Sea monster. Sea creature. Whales. Okay. Any great sea creature. Other translations? Um, we're not really sure what this is. So th- sometimes this word tanin gets translated as snake, but clearly this would not be a snake, a great sea thing uh, in, in the waters. So Israelites were not seafaring people. Uh, and, and they didn't really have marine biology. <laughs> but they occasionally saw these great things in the waters, and they thought, wow, that is scary looking. Uh, it looks sometimes like a snake coming out of the water. Uh, sometimes they just thought it looked like a monster of some kind. So for them, it was just whatever that is, tanim. So uh, when, we, when we translate it as whale, we're guessing. They must have seen whales and thought, Oh, look at that. And, and that's this great creature. But it does, uh, 21, uh, after God had separated the waters from below and above, 21 starts to fill that water, right? 20, uh, 20 and following. Sea monster <laughs> or whale or some great creature of some kind. Uh, <laughs> I like to show students pictures of sea creatures. Some look so bizarre, they look alien. Uh, and What's the blobfish? Have you ever seen the blobfish? Uh, if you want to Google blobfish sometime, it's the most bizarre looking creature. Uh, in the deep sea, there are strange and wonderful cre- cre- creation of God that we've never even seen. Um, okay, 22. This is the, this is the first uh, occurrence of the word bless. And God blessed them and said... Uh, be fruitful is most translations, but Hebrew has a verb that means to bear fruit. So fruit is the verb. So that's the word. And then the next word, again, uh, the Hebrew verb is to be many, but muchness, to, to be much. So be fruitful and multiply is a typical translation, but bear fruit and be many. 
and fill uh, the waters of the seas. And let the birds be also, this, this word, many, multiply over the, over the earth. Um, so the first blessing that occurs in the Bible is this one. Um, there's something about life that receives a blessing. Um, the Old Testament people, the Hebrew people, I'm not sure if they ever considered plant uh, life as equivalent to uh, any other kind of animal life. Moving things seem to have breath and, 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 and a special status. So we'll see later that God gives all these living things the green things to eat, the plants to eat. So they thought of plant life in an entirely different category of, of life. Yes? That's a great question because often God speaks and something immediately happens, right? Or God speaks and then God does the thing. God says, let, let there be a dome and then God makes it. Or God uh, will say things like, we'll get to that verse when God says, let us make man in our own image and God does it. Um, or the author will say, uh, and it was so. This one, we don't get that. We don't get an, and it was so. It just moves on. There was evening, there was morning. So, we don't know for sure, um, but the, uh, I, the author is uninterested. It's almost like, okay, God bless them, let's move on. We'll hear that same exact blessing in that exact wording uh, in just a little bit. That, that gets uh, expressed to us. So we just read 23. Uh, 24. Finally, we get to day six. Day six is the longest of the, the six days in, of creation in chapter one. And God said, every, like I said, every day begins with the same Hebrew phrase, but Yom Elohim, God said, let the earth bring forth living things according to its kind. <coughs> Big animals and small animals. So uh, beasts or sometimes cattle is a translation, behemoth, uh, and small crawling things, uh, the life we're living things of the, of the earth according to its kind. And there's that phrase, and it was so. So this time when God speaks, it becomes so. Repetition again of the same phrase, according to its kind, according to its kind, according to its kind. We're getting that separation, that order, the sense of order we talked about last time. So remember God separated the waters first? and then the waters were gathered into one place, and then the dry land appeared. Uh, and so the, th the ordering of this is also important. So God creates the space, and then begins to fill it. First the waters, and now the land. The waters and the heavens, and now the land. So these are land creatures that, that this refers to. Twenty-five. Uh, strangely, following, and it was so, the next verb uh, is that God made or does these things. God made, 
uh, the life of the earth, living things of the earth, according to its kind, again, as if we're not gonna miss that one. Uh, and again, the, the behemoth, the large animal, cattle, or some kind of big animals, according to its kind, and all those that either, I think, uh, some translations say crawl or creep, something like that. Is that true? So small animals uh, in, in the adama, in the ground, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Again, good. Uh, let me ask you, because we talked about this briefly, that, that the word good in English can take on all kinds of different nuance last time, right? So if you talk about a good person, could often refer to this person's morality, their character. Uh, when you talk about good food, whole different thing. Um, God keeps seeing something that is good, and God saw, God saw that it was good. Yes? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so I have a question for you. I asked this of my Hebrew students. What did God see with? <laughs> eyeballs. Does God have eyeballs? And retina, lenses that go through? Did God create light because he didn't see anything before? <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm tired of not seeing anything. Let there be light. Oh, I can see now. Is that, the, is that the deal? What, is God, what does it mean for God to see here? Clearly it can't mean, I don't think even the Israelites would have thought God had the same eyeballs that we do, and somehow God created something and looks at it and goes, oh, that's good. What's going on? I think. God affirmed it, or God understood that it was good. You used the word see last week mm -hmm. when we were talking about different meanings. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, I see, I understand yeah. Yeah. Right. And the, the reader is getting that over and over and over, right? God saw that it was good. Uh, in fact, it's, it's shorter in Hebrew. God saw good. There's no, remember, Hebrew hayah doesn't occur as a copula uh, to describe something. So God saw it good. Could it be understood? Mm hmm. Saw in the sense of God understood it? Right. There, um, yes, but also I, I think of this. Um, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Or um, an another expression might be something like this. Um, when, when we talk about I see your point, it's, that's the understanding part. But we can also see... Uh, in, in, in terms of evaluating something. So when, when students hand me a paper and say, oh, this is the best paper I ever wrote, and I usually say, we'll see. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> not necessarily a good thing for them to hear, but um, I, I use threats of, of fear as an instructive <laughs> um, prompt. Uh, sometimes shame works too. <laughs> so shaming students works. Fear works. I have a reputation that I, I've built over the years of having a very hard test. Uh, and my students can vouch for that. They, they panic before exams. And that's a good thing. That, that panic is healthy fear. Yes? It can also be translated, and God saw. When you look at it, you 
mm -hmm. God saw good? Or did they actually have the verb, the kind of like verb, it was good? God saw uh, good when he looked at that? The Hebrew word that immediately precedes the word good is called ki, and ki is such a flexible term that it can mean anything between, uh, and pretty much anything you think of almost, because, therefore, that, if, when, it is an incredibly flexible word, and it just means this. I'm gonna connect this word to that word, or what you just read to what you're about to read, and that's the Hebrew word key. It's incredibly flexible. So God saw this word key, good. So, uh, my Hebrew students translate this as that most often, so they say God saw that good. Uh, God saw for good, maybe. God saw when good. It's, it's almost impossible to, to render it without. But whatever God saw, it was good. But the word see always threw me when I was studying this. Like, what does it mean for God to see? We're gonna get to chapter two, uh, hopefully today. And, and when, when seeing recurs again, it's now us. Human, humanity wants to see things. Um, <coughs> what we see, when, when, we, when we see something, all right, let me, let me jump ahead then. All right, so when, when Eve uh, and the serpent have this conversation, do you remember that story? And the serpent says, no, you're not gonna die. You'll be like God, knowing good and, you know, knowing good and evil. Uh, and so Eve, this woman, the woman looks at the fruit and she saw that it was good. The same word, same two words, seeing and that it's good. In fact, good to give wisdom. So she thought, oh, this looks like it would, it's good for food, and it looks like it could be good to give us some knowledge. So she's evaluating the situation. So there's kind of an evaluative uh, sense to that word see, and I think that's what's going on in all of chapter one. God keeps evaluating this created thing, and it's good. Good in, in, in every kind of sense of that word. Um, Okay, so 26, we're at 26, right? No, wait, where were we? <laughs> yeah, 26. 26, and, and God said, so this is uh, the beginning of uh, creation of, of Adam, and God said, let us make Adam. Now, man is most often translated there, Adam, <coughs> and that's where we get the word Adam from, but I'm gonna use Adam for now, here's, and you'll see why. And, as, and so God said, let us make Adam in our image and in our likeness, two separate words there, and to govern or rule or uh, to walk around, sometimes that's the word, over uh, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the, the heavens, the Shemayim, and uh, over the beasts and all the land, all the earth and all the crawling things upon the ground. So this sets up, so God either spoke before, like let something be, and then God made it, <coughs> or it just it was so. This is the first time that God speaks as a setup, kind of build up to the event. Yes. So my translation says, um, let us make God, or let us make man in 
says, let us make a dom, and a doms mm -hmm. are going to rule over, is it singular or plural? I think it is. It's let him, um, because I, so, but that's insignificant because Hebrew will agree with whatever the, the noun is. So since the noun is singular, it'll use a singular reference. But even, for example, uh, when Abraham received the blessing that his multiple descendants right, will become so numerous, uh, they will be uncountable. The Hebrew word uh, seed, zechah, is singular. So it'll use singular for all of his descendants. So um, the grammatical agreement is what's what you're seeing there. But Adam is almost, at this point, a kind of creature, not a single person. Yes? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. Uh, okay, so I have notes on that one. Um, I'm glad you asked. Who is the us? Let us make Adam in our, in our image. All right, so there are several possibilities. Uh, two of the most popular uh, views on this among scholars, and by and large, most people fall in these two categories. One is to consider the us as speaking to the heavenly council, so, uh, by the way, all the words that occur as rule or govern or uh, have dominion over, none of those words in chapter 1 and 2 is the Hebrew word to reign as king. So king is melech, to reign as king is malach. Remember, those are words that are related. And so there is no kingly rulership of any, anyone or anything, even the, the, the greater light, lesser light to govern, again, not as a king, just to rule, kind of govern or look after is, is the idea. So the, there's only one king in the story, God. If God is king, kings in the ancient world had a council. Uh, in Job, God is holding court and uh, these angels come before God. And, you know, the Satan, Ha-Satan, the Satan, comes before God, and God says, have you considered my servant Job, blameless not by turning away from evil? And uh, Satan says, oh, only because you put a hedge around him and blessed him and protected him, you take that away, he'll, he'll deny you. So uh, it's almost this imaginative understanding of the king. All kings have courts, and so it could be that there's a heavenly council uh, that God is referring to here. Let us make Adam in our image. Uh, the second, uh, slightly more popular among biblical scholars is this. Um, the royal we. Uh, royalty often speak about the first person singular in the plural. So the Queen of England says we when she means I. And it's called the royal we. So it could be that this reference to we is the royal we. So that's the more popular view. There's an extreme minority view uh, among Christian scholars that this refers to the Trinity. The reason this is an extreme minority view, even among Christian scholars, is that the if Elohim, it's also a plural ending, Elohim is a plural so when it's not referring to our God, it refers to gods. Im is a plural ending. Uh, so when you hear about like ch um, the cherubim or the, any im, the gadolim, those im endings are plural, uh, masculine endings. And the reason if im, so people also interpret, well, im is plural, so it must mean 
the God is plurality, i.e. Um, trinity. The problem with that theology is that it goes against actually Christian Orthodox theology of God being one and not three. There's one God, three persons. Now, we can talk about how difficult that is to conceive of. Uh, there's a mystery there. <clears throat> but what it cannot be is per plurality of gods, right? That's, that would go against the, the classical understanding of the, uh, of the creeds as well. So it cannot be multiple gods. So the em ending cannot be applied to the word el, Elohim, gods. Um, and, and so even the we, if it's referring to a plurality there, that creates problems uh, syntactically as theologically as well, uh, because it, it, God uses singular verbs. So an author uses singular verbs. And um, there, there, there's some who, who make a case that this is a Trinitarian reference. Um, but if it had been kind of a Trinitarian reference, it's so veiled and so, so, um, so subtle that all of the readers uh, of the Hebrew all the rabbis, everyone missed it, right? It w- just wasn't there for them. So there are no rabbis or Old Testament, uh, you know, e- even, the, even the prophets who refer back to Genesis 1 and 2. So Old Testament, because it took such a long time to write and compose, well, like about a thousand years, uh, so you have later writers referring back to earlier writings, and none of the later writers of the Bible refer to that as plurality, and then no rabbi after that, uh, Mishnaic or Talmudic, no, no one referred to that as the tr- like a Trinitarian or a, multi- a plurality of some kind. So they would have missed it. So um, that's why it's an extreme minority view. I don't know where I land on the co- Heavenly Council versus um, the royal we idea, but I kind of lean toward the royal we because he... Elohim, the em ending, it's called the plural of majesty anyway. Why does God get an em ending when it's singular? It's the plural of majesty. So if it's the plural of majesty, then it makes sense that the majestic we gets used. Let us make Adam in our image and likeness. Theologians have gone to town on those two words. Uh, (laughs) What does it mean to be made in God's image and likeness? And you, as many theologians are, uh, you, you will find that in many different variations of what it means. Uh, but what's really surprising is this. Could, could someone look up chapter 5 of Genesis and read 1, 2, and 3 for us? This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. So God makes us in the image of God, but according to that very text... Adam's kid is in the image of the dad. So 
whatever the difference is between God and man in that, in that verse uh, cannot be that great because then that same phrase gets used between father and son. It is not, so it's a strange term. What does it mean? And like I said, theologians have gone to town on this. You can, you can look up image of God and you'll get, well, it must be our intellect. No, it must be our community. No, it must be our you know, creativity. No, it must be this, it must be that, it must be this. And yet Adam can do it. Adam created, or created in a sense, right? Adam gave to, created an image and likeness. Uh, image and likeness, also some theologians separate the two, and one stands for this and one stands for that. And that's a difficulty uh, in the text itself because sometimes the word image gets used, sometimes the word likeness gets used synonymously. So then to distinguish the two uh, too much would be problematic just within the text itself. So I, I take those as kind of synonymous, whatever that means, it's passed on. So as we are like our parents, our parents were like their parents and their parents like their parents, the Hebrew people thought our parents then are like God. So we are like God in that sense. Yes? I don't actually know much about Mormonism, to be honest with you, uh, but we believe that Jesus had a body like ours, much like ours, so God incarnate, the incarnation. So uh, the reason I feel comfortable talking about Jesus as he, for example, much more than I do with God, the Godhead, because he was clearly a he who had a body and a um, walked around and had feet and eyes. So Jesus had eyeballs like ours, right? So when we talk about God in Genesis 1, did God have eyeballs? Like, we don't know. I don't think so. But in Jesus, good Jesus walks around. Uh, and, oh, man, chapter 3. Uh, God walks around in the breeze of the garden, right? So what does that mean? God's just like, oh, it feels nice out here. <laughs> <laughs> cool breeze of the day, right? So... And then God, and Adam hears the sound of God walking around in the garden, so he hides himself. So God was like making noise <laughs> as he was walking around. Uh, so in chapter one, um, God is very, very transcendent. It's a very loaded theological word. Powerful, sovereign. God speaks. Light, let light exist. Light exists, right? So let light be. Light bead. God is sovereign. God is above creation. God is incredibly transcendent, and that's the word that theologians use. In chapter two, God is imminent. Um, God with us. God is very much like us in chapter two and three. So much so that God walks around and God can have a conversation with Adam. Um, so the transcendence and imminence of chapter one and chapter two, right from the beginning of our Bible, we get theological tension. And we, we somehow need to learn to live with this tension because the two cannot be harmonized. They're opposite words. So I am transcendent to an ant. An ant cannot understand me. I can try and talk to it, but no, I am so transcendent to that ant, we cannot have a relationship. Right? That's transcendent. But God does have a relationship with his hand. God is so much bigger 
in, in transcendence is so much more transcendent to humans than we are to an ant, and yet God can have a relationship and a conversation with humanity, and humanity can somehow understand God in a way, which is bizarre. How do we begin to understand God? And yet we can. The Bible says so. Not everything, obviously. It's a mystery. Lots of things are mystery. But this imminence of God, God with us, God like us, we are like God, God is, God can, we can have a relationship with God, and yet God is so unlike us, God is other than us, and right from the beginning, this transcendence and imminence happens. And you see, you see this in Jesus, too. Jesus is, yes, God with us, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, but there are times the disciples freak out. What kind of a person is this? This is no person at all. He gets annoyed at the wind. <laughs> I, we get annoyed at the wind like yesterday, right, or today. Uh, but we can't do anything about it. Jesus will say, shut up. He rebukes the wind, right? When he, remember, he's taking a nap, gets woken up, annoyed. <laughs> he's kind of annoyed because he was taking a nice nap in the boat. Remember, he's always up early in the morning. He was probably tired, taking a nap in the boat. And the wind annoyed him, so he rebukes the wind. And the wind goes, okay. <laughs> and what happens after that? The disciples go, who is this guy? In fact, the word is, what kind of a human is this? What kind of an anthropos man is this? He's, he's no man. So the transcendence and imminence comes uh, together in Jesus, and it's a strange mystery. And G Genesis begins that way, right from the beginning. One, chapter one, transcendent. Chapter two, imminent. But even chapter one, the creation of everything else is very transcendent. When you get to creation of Adam, it, it starts to get more imminent. God starts to get much closer, even in chapter one. Chapter two, God literally gets, in the, in the, in the picture of the, you have to picture, God has to get his hands dirty in chapter two. We'll get, we'll, let's hope we can get to that. Uh, all right, where, where were we? 27? 27? Okay, 27. Uh, and God created Adam in his image. In the image of God, he created it, him. Male and female, he created them. It, it turns plural all of a sudden because male and female have to include at least two people. So there's lots of repetition here. Let's listen to the word order. God created Adam in his image, period. In his image, in God's image, in the image of God, I'm sorry, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the repetition here is just, is there uh, poetic parallelism, one line after another? The importance is God created Adam in, in the image of God. And then the image is repeated again, just for repetition. And that image then is translated as male and female. Notice here, um, Eve is not mentioned at all. That's not until chapter two. Uh, Adam, Adam, the word Adam is both male and female. That's why uh, often you get the word man or mankind or humanity, humankind in your translations for Adam at this point. Then uh, God blessed them, and he said to them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, be many, and fill the earth. The same blessing that we, we saw earlier. 
And uh, the next couple words, again, are ideas of rulership or, or, uh, or um, uh, sense of dominion, but not, again, as a king. The, word they, the author carefully avoids the Hebrew word king, or to rule, or as a king, to reign. Over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and all living things uh, that crawl upon the earth. Chap- uh, we'll keep reading. And God said, behold, look, Yineh, behold, look, I will, I've given to you all the green plants that bear seeds uh, and, uh, and uh, upon the face of the earth, all the earth, and all the trees uh, in which there are seed-bearing seed, kind of, there's a strange uh, uh, phrase there that repeats, um, and to you they will be food. So when God had created plant life, um, all these plant things now are given to them as food, as provision for them. That has not occurred so far, this is the first time that God provides for another creature. It's really the first time God speaks to a creature, relationally. God has spoken to light, let light be and light be, right? Uh, but this time, I've given to you very relational speech for the first time. And to all the living things of the earth and to all the birds of the heavens, uh, and to all the crawling things upon the land uh, in, in which there is life, uh, all the green plants, they will be food. And it was so. Thirty-one. And God saw all that he had made, and look, and behold, tov. Ma'od. Very good. I'm sorry. Uh, there was evening. There was morning. Sixth day. This is referring, so the sixth day ends right there. So that, that wall that God had made there isn't referenced all six days. It's just to the sixth day. Each day is kind of an independent unit. And so the tov ma'od part, ma'od is good, very good. Tov is good, ma'od refers to day six. And I think theologians on this, on this point, is, uh, they're correct. Yes, all of God's creation was good, but humanity gets one up, one better. Very good. In, according to God's evaluation, we, are crea- uh, we were created to be very good. Uh, I don't know how you're paragraph divide, but chapter 2, verse 1 is actually not a very good chapter division. It, it begins with the word, and then, in Hebrew. Uh, so, it continues the story very much until the end of ch- uh, verse 3, where a new paragraph really begins. So, uh, there, there are good chapter divisions, and then bad chapter division. This is one of the worst. And, and, and So, you sh- you're supposed to read right along there. So, after the sixth day, then you're going to get a kind of a story of the seventh day, in essence. Uh, the heavens and the earth were completed uh, w- with everything in it, all the hosts in it, uh, and uh, God completed or finished on the seventh day. What did God finish? All of his work, which he did, and then he stopped 
Shavat there is rested in many translations, right? You get rested there? Rest requires fatigue for us, right? Of course, God isn't tired here and needing a rest. Shavat literally means just to stop. God stopped. Shavat. Uh, Shavat, by the way, is the word uh, that we get Sabbath from. Sabbath, Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom is a greeting uh, to your Jewish friends on a Friday night. Shabbat Shalom. Peaceful Sabbath to you is, is a, a well-known greeting. Shabbat Shalom. So God stopped on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. Again, repeating the same thing twice, back to back, to, to, to reiterate that God had finished. God stopped on the seventh day. Yes, God stopped on the seventh day. Then God blessed the day, the seventh day, and he uh, made it holy. He holified it, consecrated it. Uh, the word is kadash, is to be holy. God made this thing holy. Uh, for in it, God stopped from all, the wor- all his work which he created. So God's work was creating. That was God's work. We, uh, we made it to... <laughs> I wanted to make it to that, uh, so I'm glad we made it to, to the next chapter. All right, so that's the end of this unit. So day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Do you have a question or? Yes. Is Adam's creation a separate story in the light of the fact that he had already created Adam as man and woman? It seems to me that this is already done, and then we talk about Adam. We do in chapter two, you mean? Yeah, but the yeah. question is, in, in, in reference to the days, yeah. since we separate in kind and we're organized, right. is Adam already created in this, or does Adam come after this? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, chapter one is a transcendent story about God creating all things, right? So God created Adam. Uh, male and female, done. Chapter two is going to focus on this creation of Adam. Uh, and sco- some scholars, many critical scholars will say, well, this is a different source, different, different theory, uh, I mean, different uh, document. So there's a, a theory called source, source theory, or document theory, that says, well, uh, when Israelites were different tribes and the northern tribes gathered and when the southern tribes gathered, so there's the, what the theory basically in essence is, there must have been two creation stories, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and over time they merged into one. That's, a, that's called a source theory. Um, and there's some evidence to support that because God's name changes in chapter 2, 4, and following, right? Uh, but I think that misses the point of, well, then why did they put it together? Why didn't they just, just choose one or harmonize the two in a, in a better way? I think the whole theological point was to create the tension of the transcendence and imminence of God. And in chapter two, we are going to get a retold story of Adam, uh, Adam being created. And then, so wh- what I like to see is this. Chapter one is the headlines. Uh, chapter two is kind of detail about one part of that headline. The focus is us now. Uh, uh, the terms that theologians use are theocentric, around God. Chapter one is theocentric, it's about God. And chapter two and following are anthropocentric. It's, it centers around us. So it, it's, it's a zoomed in picture now. You can kind of zoom into a little corner of God's creation. So God created everything, 
And now let's look at more, in more detail what it, what it meant for God to create Adam is chapter two. That's how I would explain it. I don't like the source critical theory as just an explanation says, see, there are two sources, but it doesn't explain why they're there in that way. Um, does that answer your question? Okay. Okay, let's see if we can <laughs> make a little bit uh, our way into chapter two. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth in their, crea- in their creation. Um, the, the word generations is it's toledot in Hebrew, toledot. And uh, chapter five, that Pam uh, read earlier, said this is the account of a- Adam or something like that, this is the story of. Um, the toledot formula gets repeated throughout Genesis to mark new beginnings. So, ele toledot, these are the generations of. Now, heaven and earth, how does the heaven and earth have generations when you can't have kids? Um, who knows? But it's a marker, and so the author decides to use this marker to, to say, you know what, new beginning, pause, start over. Uh, they didn't have like chapter titles and headings, and so what they use, in, in, oh, and the prophets, the most well-known formula to end a unit or beginning a unit is thus says the Lord. So the prophet will go on and on, thus says the Lord, new beginning, blah, 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 blah. Thus says the Lord, new beginning. So there are formulas that mark uh, the beginning and ending of a literary unit. And this one marks the new unit here. These are the generations of um, the heavens and the earth when they were created. On the day that God made uh, the the land and uh, the, the earth and the heavens. Verse five. Now, there's dis- there's, it's dis- I've talked about disjunction before. This is disjunctive beginning now. Uh, all, or any, or every, depending on how you translate this, all of the shrubs of the field had not yet existed. So this is before, before any of those things had been, had haya, that word, to be, before they were on the earth, and all the asav, the, the plants, green things, plants of the field existed or were sprouted. For God had not um, caused rain upon the earth, and nor was Adam there to work the ground. Uh, now, I said God here. Most of your translations should have Lord God, right? <coughs> is the Lord in all caps in your translation? Yes. Often little smaller letters like this, uh, L and then O-R-D and smaller. This is uh, what's known as the tetragrammaton, the four letters, uh, Y-H-W-H, in, and so it would look like this. And notice I'm not putting any dots and little things around it, no vowel points because the Hebrew people never said this word out loud. They said, if you don't ever say God's name, then you can't use it in vain. <laughs> Pretty smart, right? <laughs> A little paranoid, but smart. So this is the word Yahweh. And I think they were mistaken not to use it. It's safe, but it's also wrong, I think. Because this word... is a covenant name for Israel. This is a name that God gives Moses. When Moses asks, who should I say has sent me? 
And then he says, I am has sent you. I am. Notice the similarity of that, that, I know you can't read it, but those letters without the vowel pointings and those letters. Uh, the closest understanding of that word is being. The one that exists. I am. He is. God is. Remember, the to be verb is a strong verb in Hebrew, not a weak one. And so the being one is God. And that name, Yahweh, is a covenant name. Now, what's a covenant name? Remember, Elohim, God, is a title. Uh, a covenant name is an intimate name given to a covenant partner. So, uh, <laughs> my wife calls me, uh, she rarely ever, ever calls me TC. If she calls me TC, I know I'm in trouble. Uh, if she ever says Dr. Hom, I know I'm in big trouble. Uh, she usually calls me babe, okay? So she's been doing that since I was, since we were initially married, and I call her honey. So honey or babe, I call her babe sometimes too, but she always calls me babe. Hey babe, how, you, how are you? How's your day? Nobody else in the world calls me babe, right? No one else. It would be weird if any of my students did, right? Just if, if, if they overheard Ruth talking to me and they said, well, she called you babe, why can't I call you babe? I'd say, no, 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 you can't call me babe because I'm not your babe. I'm her babe. It's a covenant name. That's what a covenant name is. So it is an intimate word. And then they were meant to use it. They were not meant to abuse it or to take it for granted or to take oaths on it when you don't mean to keep them. That's the, the third commandment, right? Um, so when you don't take the Lord's name in vain, it means not to swear by it uh, when you don't mean to do anything with it, to use it in vain. So this name, the Lord God. So in chapter one, it was Elohim, 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 God, 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 God. Chapter two says, oh, by the way, this God has a name. That's our God. Yahweh is this God who did all these things. And so Yahweh is babe, in a sense, which means it's a name that emphasizes God's imminence. Elohim, transcendence. And names are that way. Names are much more personal, uh, that m much more personal than titles. So when my student, I ha ask my students to call me TC, because that's my name, and most of them do. Some of them just can't get over that because they were raised in a different way. You can't call your teachers by their first names. And they still call me Dr. Hom or Professor Hom. And, and I, I feel a distance. Like, we're not friends, right? Uh, some have created Dr. TC or Dr. You know, Professor TC because they want to kind of do both. And still, there's kind of a distance. So the example I use is this. If you go home to my, my students, if you go home and say, you know, my professor told me this, what you're invoking is my authority. Well, my professor says, right? It's my transcendence that they're invoking in to, to win an argument or something or to, to make a point about what they're learning. But if they say, oh, TC and I had lunch the other day, now they're invoking their relationship with me. So in chapter one, it was the professor. It was God, the title, creating all these things. In chapter two, it's Yahweh. Uh, I... I, I I will often say this word in its place. You might know this word, Adonai. And that's what the Hebrew people said it. I, I'm, I'm gonna, we're all out of time, but I'm gonna show you something really quick. 
Whenever Hebrew people saw these four letters, they said this word, Adonai. It's actually not literally ah, it's a, it's a very short uh, Adonai. This is what they said, okay? Because they didn't want to say Yahweh. So what they did was, they put the vowel pointings of uh and o oh here. To remind them, you say Adonai. It should be like that, forget that. <laughs> like it matters. <laughs> uh, and then, so someone came along and thought, oh, that's how you pronounce that word. And think about this. If you took this, these four letters, and you put in the vowels for Adonai, what you get is Yehovah or Jehovah. Jehovah is a misunderstanding of the Jewish practice of never saying this word. So when we sing songs about Jehovah, we're actually saying God's name terribly wrong. <laughs> but it's neither Jehovah or Lord, Adonai. It's actually Yahweh, but if you don't want to say Yahweh, you say Adonai or Lord. And that practice of saying Lord is why English translations use the Lord. But to distinguish that word from actual word Adonai, they put it in all caps so you can say Oh, that's the name of God. But Lord is a terrible translation of Yahweh because Lord sounds more transcendent again. Lord God sounds more transcendent when it's actually Prof TC. TC, my prof. Or if my wife ever sat in a class with me, it'd be Professor Babe, <laughs> right? All right, uh, we just started chapter two. We'll finish it next, next time and hopefully we'll get into chapter three a little bit. Uh, thank you again for coming.